Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Gregory Wilson. He is founder of Fibonacci. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about the work they're doing using hemp products, using uh, hemp materials for all sorts of different products in the building space and the material space. Exciting conversation. We've covered a lot of different facets of kind of the cannabis market on the podcast here. And a couple of times we've talked about some more of the industrial kind of fiber material side of this. You know, we spend a lot of time thinking about the chemicals we can extract from the plants and use them for all sorts of purposes. Purposes. But the fact is, is cannabis is actually historically industrial material and hemp has been, you know, was for a very long time as an agricultural product. So I'm excited to kind of get back into that side of it. Obviously, for those of you that have been listening to this, you know that I was originally an architect. And so it's actually scratching an itch that I have about understanding and, and loving to talk about the, the built environment and how we can apply some of these things to how we construct and how we build our, our homes, our buildings, our facilities. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Gregory, welcome to the program. Hey, well, thanks for having me from uh, 
warm and sunny Western Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're all kind of going through various heat waves in the country, and, and I'm sure it's particularly warm there. Let's do a little bit of background, understand kind of how you got into the space, you know, what your kind of professional experience was, how kind of hemp cannabis came into play for you. And then we can talk about some of the business. I know you've, you've developed a series of products, hemp wood being kind of the most current one. But uh, let's, let's get the, the background first. Like, where did you begin your professional career? And, and give us a little bit of the story. Okay. Well, I guess it actually goes back a couple of generations in the family. So our family are general contractors, builders from uncles and brothers and cousins and grandparents and stuff like that. So we've always been involved in the building trade or building materials and then getting into engineering of those materials. So with growing up, subdividing land and building houses and things like that or building out commercial spaces in Maryland. I was always around flooring and furniture and trims and carpentry. And then when I got into high school, actually, I went away to high school to a STEM school when they first started putting like technology. It went from being like tech ed where you were drawing on a piece of paper with a pencil to actually having computers. And we had Al Gore who came and like cut the ribbon for opening (laughs) up the first AutoCAD uh, STEM program in the state of Maryland. So it started with that with uh, Mr. Shook. He was my teacher that kind of kicked us in the right direction as much as he could when we were a bunch of unruly high school kids. And then going through and studying that in college and working in vinyl siding and then engineered wood flooring in plants. So I worked at Certainty for a summer and then I worked at Tarquette for a little while. And China had joined the World Trade Organization while I was in college. And so with them joining the World Trade Organization and my reading and writing kind of lacking with getting into college, but my math being pretty good, they asked what other language I spoke. And I said, well, I studied some stuff but didn't really pay attention too much. (laughs) So I took up Chinese in college. So I figured an engineer who could speak Chinese could kind of figure out whatever he wanted to do. Yeah. So I got into building materials in college. I graduated and sold my car and bought a plane ticket and moved to China about 16 years ago. I'd studied over there for one of the years, so it wasn't uh-huh. completely blind. Yeah. yeah. And um, we figured out a way of making bamboo flooring. And in actuality, I was involved in making the logs out of bamboo that then got cut into planks and got turned into flooring and furniture and all those different things. And I still have an ownership stake in the, uh, the world's largest bamboo company. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And why bamboo? I mean, what were the qualities that bamboo had when you looked at the whole kind of building construction, you know, material science side of things? Well, in the beginning, it was because my mom was a she was a school teacher, guidance counselor, and she actually was teaching with another lady whose son owned a flooring factory in China. So when Mm -hmm. I was in school and trying to figure out what I was going to get into, he said, hey, if you want to come over here and help me out in the flooring plant, there's always something to do. So when bamboo became a raw material, but no one could quite figure out how to use it properly, um, that's where we stepped in and figured out how to make it hard or dense because the original vertical and horizontal bamboo is really soft. So you couldn't use it for commercial flooring because high heels would put dings and dents in it. So everybody was trying to impregnate it or compress it. And we actually combined the two and impregnated it and then compressed it with um, different polymers. And so that's how bamboo came about. It was just right place, right time. Now I was always kind of guided with learning Chinese and getting to where the bamboo was. And then it progressed from there when the Chinese government deemed the patents to be a monopoly that were held by the company I was at. My name was Uh, a couple of those. Interesting. Yeah, so I was like 27 
standing in the high court of Beijing to uh, defend the patents, which technically were defended, but deemed to be a monopoly. And so they granted a license to all of the competitors that my boss, he was a big shot. He was suing the Chinese competitors that were making the same products as us. And that didn't go over so well. So... So the Chinese government basically came in and said, look, we kind of acknowledge that you you did the work to create this process and this technology, but because it's such an advantage, we can't have that in our marketplace, so we're going to give it to other people anyway. Hindering the economic development of the bamboo industry. Yeah. Because it was, I mean, they were correct in some of it, and Uh where the actual weak link was, was that when the company successfully stopped the other, I think it was nine companies that were making the same stuff. In a lower court, they went to the local bamboo magistrate or industry or society or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and they then became the defendant for the higher court. So it was essentially you're suing the local bamboo industry government co-op rather than just an individual business. Got it. So they said, all right, well, this could have 10,000 employees instead of 1,000. And yeah. so then a 2% license was granted that was phased out over a couple years. But in the meantime, when all that was happening at a higher level than I was, I was just the young engineer in the plant. Uh-huh. And we had um, the boss told me to figure out a new raw material. So we set up a nanotech lab in Zhejiang University, where mm-hmm. I had gone to school before. And the company that had owned that was a Australian publicly traded company that bought the bamboo rights. And mm-hmm. so we set up a nanotech lab at Flinders University in Australia as well. And we figured out I was actually on vacation in the south of China and was looking at the eucalyptus grandis trees that are planted all over the south. And they uh-huh. were planted by the Australians in the 70s to help stop typhoons and mudslides. Yep. Because you get all those big storms that come off of the China Sea, the South China Sea. And yeah. then they hit the areas where the trees had been um, denuded or cut down. And it started causing mudslides. So the Australians helped them plant them. And they had all these trees that were low value because they had low density. And if you try to dry them too quick, they would have what's called cell collapse. And so they were used for cheap plywood. And we figured out that we could use those for what's called strand woven eucalyptus. You can still find it in every Lowe's in the United States. And the bamboo at that time was really peaking. It reached over a billion dollars a year in sales. Yeah. So... Eucalyptus was the second step still for that same company. And when I signed over those patents, they paid for me to go to business school. They sent me to HBS. Um, Then I decided to venture out on my own and I had a two-year non-compete. I did a couple of projects with U.S. companies and Chinese companies going back and forth. And the I set up a consulting company called QPC Partners that was just Mm -hmm. going back and forth with one of the people from my class. 2014, my non-compete was up, Mm -hmm. and the Tasmanian Forestry Department gave me a call and said, I remember you're kicking the tires down here with that Australian (laughs) company about setting up strand-woven eucalyptus. Well, they had a project that they were working on called Hardlam, and Hardlam was trying to find a value-add for their pulp-grade logs because they were having a lot of their solid wood facilities shutting down. And so the logs that were of better quality that should be going to plywood or solid wood or something that had a higher value mm-hmm. were just getting chipped up and sent to Southeast Asia for paper. Ooh. So we figured out their hardland project, why it was having these micro fractures in the interior of the cell structure, which was from heat and drying, as well as them not using a two-step process where you do a hot press panel followed by a cold press block 
they were trying to do radio frequency drying for this huge block that was like two feet tall, four feet wide, eight feet long. And so we broke it down into steps and created hard land. When the government changed and they deemed that the forestry department was stewards of the forest and should no longer be involved in industrial practices, they actually sold that company to me and some of the other contractors. Um, So we renamed it Smart Oak and we still make that stuff in Tasmania. I still have some of my ties into the bamboo and eucalyptus stuff in China Mm -hmm. and had figured out how to make hemp wood, but at the time I called it weed wood in like 2010 <laughs> in these nanotech labs where they actually use a different type of hemp or cannabis sativa L over in China uh-huh. that it's used for tea primarily. And it's actually the CBD kind of effect where you uh-huh. put it in the hot water and it gives you a calming effect similar to some teas. Well, we had gotten our hands on some of the stalks of that and press it into these little samples. I used to keep one on my desk when I'd have to give like the technical tour of the plant to our customers or distributors coming in. And I'd say, the manufacturing algorithm is so versatile, we can turn weed into wood. And in <laughs> 2014, 2015, one of the guys we used to supply at uh, Mohawk, he was uh, their VP of hardwoods or hard surfaces. He mm-hmm. called me and said, hey, you keep talking about timber technologies this or timber technologies that and how you can adapt that algorithm that you had for bamboo and recycled woods because we did some of those in Poland and the Ukraine as well as Tasmania and he said why don't you come in and talk to us about weed wood and their legal department once they started talking to us and actually got paid deemed that they were not able to go after it because they're SEC regulated and it was only legal on a state level oh uh, yeah yeah so as I was walking out the door and him and I continued to talk because I'd known him for 10 years He's still mm-hmm. an advisor to our board here. He said, Greg, he's like, this is where the entrepreneur steps in. He's like, you've got a billion dollar idea and you're the only one in the world who knows how to do it or knows mm-hmm. that it's coming. So you better get a patent on it. So I went home and um, figured out how to put a patent on it. Worked out a bunch of the details because it was only basically a proof of concept at that point. Wow. Uh, before the 2016 election, I saw that there was, it was like six or eight different states had hemp or something cannabis related on their ballot. And so I made sure that I got it in before the 2016 election. And actually, I was moving back to the States at that time. And I married my Chinese wife because I figured green cards weren't going to get any easier. Exactly. (laughs) And they actually doubled in price the following year. Mm -hmm. So 2016 was a pretty pivotal year for this because Uh the technology was there. I was working with um, a big university in Oregon and Murray State University here in Kentucky. And Murray State had the better agricultural department, the better understanding of hemp. And they Mm -hmm. had the large fields here, where in Oregon, they had a better understanding of the chemistry. And so in working with those two universities in parallel for two, three years, Murray State made it easier to set up and get it done. And they actually said, When I called from China and I said, hey, I'm looking for a place that I can get 3,000 tons of hemp fiber a year to Mm -hmm. set up a flooring factory. They said, okay, when are you coming to visit? They asked what I was doing and I said, bamboo flooring over in China. He's like, "Uh, Dean Brandon of the Ag School said, I've been waiting for someone like you to call. Yeah. So the first time I showed up and was kicking the tires because they'd been sending me materials to try. He started showing me buildings and said, you're coming here and there's no other way about it. (laughs) I'm not having it other ways. Exactly. So he introduced me. He said, what's your biggest problems? And I was working with John. He still works with me now. I said, biggest problems are 
There's now tariffs on our machinery for bringing it in because the only place you can get it is China. And we were mm -hmm. actually adapting it from some of our bamboo equipment that I've been working with for a decade or so. And then there was where to actually set up, how to actually get it done. And he said, all right, well, if you can't find a suitable building, then we'll set you up with someone who can spec build one out for you. Or worst wow. case scenario, you can do it on one of the university farms because the university has like five farms here yeah. that they grow hemp on and do all their tests and all that. And he actually gave us a building to start working in in 2018 while we were building out our plant that we have now. So the, uh, the tariffs got taken care of by the White House. The uh, local congressman took it the whole way to the White House and he gave us an exemption letter so we could get our machinery in, at least for the first round. The second mm -hmm. round of automation equipment has not been so lucky. Yeah. And that's a pretty uh, difficult situation right now. That one's going to cost yeah, between sure. 50 and 100 grand in tariff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we got set up. We started, we broke ground in April of 2019. We opened the facility in August, August 26, 2019. And we started shipping hempwood lumber in October. So that's Got kind it. of the, the last 16 years in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it, it is an interesting story. I mean, kind of hearing how this is really you know, a legacy of material science of looking at different fibers and how do you convert them? And, you know, kind of, I'm sure each one has its own kind of challenges and, and characteristics. I mean, talk to us about hemp. So I've got a couple of questions. I mean, I think one is when we talk about hemp, are we, give us a sense of the plant itself. Are, are we, are we, is this any kind of cannabis plant can be used for this or is there particular strains, you know, cultivars of of cannabis that you're using, hemp being a designation of THC content legally from the U.S. point of view, but is there is there something about the particular cultivar that creates a strain, or is this basically any any cannabis plant can be used because it's you're dealing with the fiber part of it, not the you know terpene contents and things like that? So there's definitely a legal distinction, and our company has been used as a role model by the USDA for the Farm Bill. They brought all the senators and congressmen and. and all those different people down here, the general counsel for the USDA touring the plant and doing all these different things to make sure it was rolled out properly. And they, they actually had um, Peterson, Congressman Peterson, who is the House Ag Committee chairman, came down with Congressman Comer, who's our local guy, <laughs> and said, I needed to see hemp being used uh, for a non-consumption into the body purpose before I'm comfortable with allowing the was it Fair Banking Act Yep. And he said, this proved it. So he's like, how can I help you? I actually looked at him and said, well, this is a Sunday, and I'm paying 2500 bucks in overtime for my guys to demonstrate our plant to you. Is there any way I could get that back? He said, not at all, but I'll try to help you out at some point in the future, which they have circled back and helped us because we've now become the first hemp company in the state of Kentucky that is eligible for federal programs. So we're doing renewable energy in our plant. By we take our waste hemp because they haven't figured out the herbicides and pesticides. Mm -hmm. We have about twenty percent that comes in as grass, like literally like weeds and grass. Mm -hmm. And so we take that and we grind it up and we feed it into our bio burner, which then replaces our need for natural gas for our drying and heating for both the plant as well as the product. So we got renewable energy grants for that. We got the first one approved. We had to go and it got rejected at first, and then the distinction was made that our hemp stalk 
has nothing to do with marijuana or the regulated cannabis under the 1970s Act. Mm -hmm. And so it was deemed to be in the same segment as hemp rope. Therefore, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter the 2014 bill, the 2018 bill, even the 1970s Controlled Substance Act. Interesting. So you avoided all of it altogether just by being able to designate in that side. Yep. So the difference is our hemp plants are 10 to 15 feet tall. The top of the plant is used for flower or seed. Where you can uh-huh. get your oils, they're typically a lower level but a higher volume of CBD. Uh-huh. But it's very difficult in the CBD industry because last year people tended not to pay each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, the CBD industry is a mess right now, so yep. I don't blame it. The price of flour dropped by yeah. 75% in between yeah. grow and harvest time. And so everybody got their world turned upside down. Yeah. There's also grain that is harvested because it's a male-female plant. And it's actually yeah. the traditional hemp. Uh, the seeds typically come from Poland or Italy. We okay. actually team up with the Polish Natural Fibers Research Institute. And so we use their byproduct whenever possible. Whenever the people are chasing the top of the plant for big dollars, we mm-hmm. buy the bottom of the plant. After they cut off the top, they set their combine header like six feet tall. Uh-huh. And they take off the flower and seed and sell that to the powers that be. And then they come back with a sickle bar and cut down the bottom six feet of the plant and bale it and sell it to us for the same price as wheat straw, which is 50 bucks a bale plus or minus. I mean, sometimes you get it for 40 if we're the ones pulling it out of the field. Uh-huh. Sometimes we got to pay 60 if they store it under roof and uh, supply it to us in April or May, six months yeah. after the harvest season. Interesting. And from a sort of material science or a plant science point of view, contrast it to, to bamboo and, and you know, some of the other fibers you traditionally have worked with. How is the actual material kind of different from a, a material science point of view? I mean, in cellular structure, et cetera, like how, characterize hemp for us in, in that respect. Okay. Yeah. So bamboo comes in a pole, which you then split like a log mm-hmm. and then you have to skin it and crush it. So you're getting big poles, cut it to length, skin it, and then crush it. And that's what you make a strand. And basically you're pulverizing it down into a fibrous, some kind of fibrous material? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And then for the eucalyptus, it comes in in a log that's about as big around as your thigh. Uh And you put it into a spindleless lathe that takes off the bark. And then it peels it into a veneer, and that veneer is breaking it open enough, the cell structure of it, so you can impregnate it with the adhesives. Got it. Both of those products use phenolformaldehyde, and phenolformaldehyde is easy to use, but not great for you. In the manufacturing process, whenever something is changing, a chemical changes from a liquid to a gas to a solid, typically by thermoset, Mm -hmm. then you can have off-gassing that causes problems. And in the finished product, if it's not completely thermoset, or if it's not turned the whole way from a liquid to a solid, mm-hmm. if it gets caught in that gassing section, that's where you get your VOC emission. And so a lot of the eco-friendly products, or 85% of the world's plywood even, has formaldehyde in it. And that's kind of the big undiscussed secret of the building materials industry is if you cure it just right every time, then there is not a problem because it's fully plasticized. But whenever you're buying it from somewhere else, Because in the United States, it's not impossible, but it is definitely migrating away from production with those adhesives because Mm -hmm. they have off-gassing when they're in the manufacturing process. Whereas China, where I was before, or when you go to even Indonesia or something like that, it's not as big of an issue. People don't have as many rules and regulations in the manufacturing process. Then people are still using it. But in the U.S., everyone's migrating to different bio-based adhesives. 
And so we worked with um, the university in Oregon and here in Kentucky at Murray State to develop a bio-based adhesive that we could use that it's not quite as strong, so it doesn't have a structural bond. It is not exterior grade, so you can't do decking because okay. it's based off of soy. So we steal the proteins from soy flour, ground up soybean, mm-hmm. and then we use an organic acid as a cross-linking agent. And that way you have no added formaldehyde and no added VOCs into the product. You can sell it wherever you want. And you don't have to try to call phenol formaldehyde phenolic resin, which is typically (laughs) what you look for, especially in the state of California, because they have CARB2, which now has changed to, I think it's like Tefla or something like that. So they're instituting those same rules and regulations across the broad spectrum of building materials. So what used to just be kind of the secret in the industry is now turning into the industry-wide because it's not just California. You have to do it too. Yeah. And what what is the application kind of scope of this? I mean, uh, so you can make this kind of, you know, wood product, you know, engineer product. What do you actually, I mean, is this a a structural? Is this finish? Is this backing? Is this things you can use on actual presentation services? I mean, give us a sense of where, what the applicability of this product is potentially in the construction market, you know, commercial, residential, et cetera. Our number one product for all of the different things we make is flooring. So it is a face grade, 25% harder than hickory with the density of a tropical hardwood. So our compression ratio, which is based off the Fibonacci sequence, which you find mm-hmm. in nature everywhere. I mean, that's, yeah. that's how you can tell how blades of grass are growing or how the spiral in a snail shell or mm-hmm. branches on a tree. It's just the most efficient method of multiplying to capture sunlight and water. And so... We use that as our compression ratio because that gives us the most efficient means of having a hardness and a density without getting a spring back or leaving small air pockets inside of the material where Mm -hmm. your humidity or moisture can go in. So we make a face grade product that competes with white oak for flooring, furniture, and then home goods and hobby woods. So the flooring is usually about two thirds. The furniture is about 20%. And then home goods and hobby woods for anything from like wood turning to pen blanks to I got a duck call sitting here beside me (laughs) or these guys in Pennsylvania are making uh, recurved bows out of it. Or people who stopped by yesterday and picked up a pallet of material they're taking back to make their kitchen goods. We're doing countertops now. So people are doing like a butcher block island in their kitchen. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're doing programs actually for what we call our industry partners because it makes sense that someone would come into a dispensary or into a hemp shop and realize that there's hemp flooring or a hemp tabletop or a hemp picture frame, different items like that. And we've actually tried to, with COVID going on right now and just the market being sideways pretty much, no one quite knows what to do. All of the large building material and retail shops in the more urban areas that are more eco-conscious or eco-friendly because they have to do commercial builds for lead points and all that. The National Mm -hmm. Green Building Council loves what we do. All of those retail opportunities shut down for us. So we're in a cornfield in Kentucky trying to sell stuff over the Internet. And John, who's my marketing and sales guy, came up with the idea. He said, well, if half of our phone calls are from industry people that are setting up a dispensary or setting up a um, hemp shop, a CBD shop, or a ecotourism place, 
why don't we come up with a program where there are retailers or there are factory reps? So we have dispensaries that if they buy our flooring or if they buy tabletops from us and then they bring orders back to us, we give them a factory rep commission. Yeah. So we're setting up California as our uh, factory reps pretty much. California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado is really big. Texas, New York's given us some love. We have uh, a couple of really big projects actually Mm -hmm. in the financial industry people that actually do care about the environment in New York that are <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, well, if you look at it this way, a whole lot of the problems we have, including COVID yeah. is because there's too many people chasing too few of resources. Yeah. And the more packed you are in an area, the more you realize that because yeah. you're walking to work and choking on tailpipe fumes yeah. and you say, well, when I get to my office where I can actually control this, wouldn't I want to have wood? I mean, you see that wood's becoming a much more prevalent thing in building, especially yeah. in cities and commercial builds, because it gives you that warm feeling. Mm-hmm. It gives you that kind of positive attitude for work that makes you more productive. Yeah. And if you need to get the lead points and your National Green Building Council certified stuff, then you have to go with an eco-friendly wood option. And let's face it, vinyl doesn't cut it. So the SPC mm-hmm. and WPC flooring and vinyl flooring, that's all the rage right now, is just adding more of those toxins into your workplace, which maybe it's only a small factor in it, but it definitely changes the mood. I mean, that's why everyone wants to have a wood floor, or not every, most people want to have a mm-hmm. wooden floor in their great room in their house or in the entryway because it sets the tone for what yeah. you're doing. That's why you yeah. see a doctor's office very often has some sort of an accent wall that sets your mood when you walk into there. An accountant office, whenever people say, oh, that's one of those rich mahogany scents or smells or looks. Mm-hmm. Or you can have your bamboo eco-friendly kind of beach look. Yeah. Well, now you can have that hemp eco-friendly positive attitude look. Yeah. Well, yeah, it seems like there's a great application. I mean, there's there's so much crossover between kind of the cannabis industry and wellness and, you know, kind of ecology and sustainability that, yeah, I mean, I'm using using this as a as a building material, as a, as a you know, a finish is yet another way to kind of integrate the product in, into the lifestyle, into the environment. So I, I definitely, I can see the appeal for, you know, the dispensaries and, and you know, people that are in that kind of wellness area of being able to use this product as as a, a nod or a you know a, a recognition of of the kind of bigger picture or the bigger ideals that they're they're trying to support and, and from a I mean you mentioned lead and the and the sustainability I mean clearly it's a it's a sustainable product but give us a sense of how it ranks uh, when it comes to sustainability and why hemp or you know how hemp kind of plays into the st- sustainability aspect sure that's the easiest question that you could ask so <laughs> It is the most green building material in the world, bar none, and it's made here in the United States. Yeah. So our hemp grows in a 100 to 120-day growth cycle. It replaces between 15 and 30 60 to 100-year-old oak trees per acre. Mm -hmm. So we're using the byproduct of something that's already replacing that many old-growth oak trees that's pulling that same amount of carbon out of the air. And the numbers for the amount of carbon, I don't want to sign my name on any specific number because I've seen such a broad range of it. But I can say that it is pulling at a faster rate because it is growing faster. Mm -hmm. For instance, bamboo grows for five years. And after five years, it is something like 60 feet tall. 
and then you cut it and you take the bottom probably 30 feet off of that because the top is all branches and it gets really small. Yeah. So this can grow in a quarter of a year or yeah. I guess probably a third of a year is more realistic. Something always goes wrong. It's farming. <laughs> but So if you can pull that same or similar amount of carbon in four months that you would pull out in five years and bamboos toted as being one of the most eco-friendly practices, even though it still uses formaldehyde glue, yeah. then you have to ship it from the other side of the world. And I'm not bashing it because I, I sold a couple cans of bamboo yeah. this morning yeah. uh, out of our plants. But this one is, oh, what would that be, 15 times faster growing? Yeah. And it has an eco-friendly adhe- adhesive in it. Yeah. And it doesn't have the carbon footprint of sending it across the Pacific Ocean. Um, mm-hmm. The only drawback to that is that when it's made here, it costs more. And that's just kind of the way it is. Even barring any sort of tariffs or anything like that, our flooring is a little bit more expensive because we pay fair wages. We actually pay 20% higher than what your average manufacturing wage is where we are located. And so when people are talking about getting people $15 an hour in the major city areas, Mm -hmm. yeah, we do that here. And you can buy a single family home if you're making 15 bucks an hour in town. Yeah, Yeah, that's a real living wage. It's got... Every part of the story that you would want. And if people want stuff like us to survive and to thrive and to really make it, you got to support it. And you support it by buying hemp wood. If it's something small, like buying a picture frame, we say there's a story in the picture and in the frame. We actually have a picture frame hanging in uh, Congress right now where there's a, a hemp field. Actually, my mom's an artist. And so she comes down and visits. She goes in between Maryland and Florida for summer and winter. Mm-hmm. They're older. And, uh, they kind of turn right on the way down and stop out and see me for a week. And she painted a painting of the hemp fields with an old tobacco barn in the background. So it Mm -hmm. shows the old Kentucky agriculture in the back with the new Kentucky agriculture in the front. And then we put a hempwood picture frame on it and Congressman Comer put it up in Congress. That's great. So it kind of, there's all these different things that you can do with it. COVID's caused a little bit of a setback, but it is the greenest building material that I'm aware of anywhere for all those different reasons that I said. It is not structural and it is not exterior. The dirtier the glue, the stronger the glue and the more water resistant the glue. Now Mm -hmm. we're working on some different stuff that is not going the whole way to an oil-based VOC emitting glue, Mm -hmm. but that'll take a little while. We've also got some patents that had been approved for conducting electricity through the hemp fibers, which run through the planks. And so you would be able to conduct low-level direct current electricity, which could be in-floor heating or Uh, things like that that could have sensors in them. You could step into your house, and if you had set your thermostat or your smart monitoring system, then you could set it so your in-floor heating turns on when you step onto the floor, and you don't have to worry about turning on your HVAC unit. It's like activating. It's like motion-controlled lights. It's just motion-controlled heating. Absolutely. And we've had a couple of really, really interesting things that people that are really interested in what we're doing have contacted us. And we've had JP Morgan is looking at doing some stuff for their building. I don't know how Mm -hmm. much we're supposed to put that out there, but it got delayed because of COVID. I think they've been, their architect office has been down for about four months, but they've had the samples and said, yeah, this is going to happen just to what degree we've got to figure out. We have the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation who's doing an exhibit 
on our material out in um, Southern California that's going to start next month where they have picture frames on these different paintings that they have for a silent auction and they have flooring and a table that's made out of it. And uh, actually we built a custom frame for their monitor showing some of the different work from uh, their grandfather when he was doing all the different buildings around the U S he's kind Uh of the the godfather of American architecture. We have some electric vehicle companies that are looking at it. I mean, there's no names or anything like that, but you know how you can get uh, Oak on your, in your electric sure. vehicle well, there's a greener option to that now and we've had um we just got accepted into upenn's materials science library which is pretty much one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me yeah. because benjamin franklin is one of my heroes yeah. and to get into upenn and they called us we didn't call them they said hey we want to put this into our library of american materials oh, that's great is that okay and i was like uh yeah tell me what you want <laughs> it's coming your way so there's all these exciting, crazy, dynamic things that are happening, yeah. and how it actually plays out is pretty much up to the market. Because yeah. well, what's and what's what's in the way? I mean, like, I, why why is this not just like taking off like a rocket ship right now? Uh, it was until March. Yeah, so it's really it's COVID. It's just the dampening of the pandemic has interrupted and things. We were getting between 100 and 200 unsolicited inquiries a day. People just finding us on the internet. We just had an Instagram account. I got a call from the president of the United States. I mean, it was mayhem. And everybody is supporting us and everything is happening. And now Mm. the environment is taking the third seat as far as things that people care about. So COVID is happening and it's a real thing. And there's a lot of problems happening with that. And so health and safety is number one. There's social unrest that's happening in our main markets. Where we sell our building materials in California and in New York and in Chicago and in Milwaukee Mm -hmm. and in all the the urban areas where someone has to walk to work choking on tailpipe fumes and says, I want to have this in my house or I want to have this in my office. There's social unrest going on there. And that is a more in your face legitimate problem. And so the environment has taken the third seat and it'll come back because a lot of these issues, the underlying cause is environmental problems. I mean, resources, migrations, migrations are happening into the United States and into Europe because of climate change. And so there's been droughts which have caused wars in Central America and in the Middle East that have caused millions of people to migrate, not because they wanted to, but because they had to. If you can't take care of yourself anymore because you can't grow anything anymore because your weather pattern has changed, you're going to do what you got to do so you and your family can survive. And that's a real thing. I mean, that's, that's the world we live in right now. And so it will be, and it is the number one issue. But right now, there's some short-term things that have to get taken care of before yeah. you can focus on the, the big picture items again. And yeah. with different political stances here, there, and everywhere, and I'm not a political guy at all, some people favor it more, some people favor it less. But in the United States, everybody loves American-made. So there's no denying that we went from zero to 20 people here paid a fair wage for a fair day's work mm-hmm. in 10 months. Yeah. And we're the only people doing it in the world. Yeah. Well, I'm, just, I'm fascinated by it and I'm fascinated to see as, you know, this kind of pandemic plays out and, you know, what obviously hopefully 
improves or resolves or we figure out how to deal with it better and and we can kind of focus on some of these bigger issues i, I can't I, I can't help but imagine that you're you know there, there's going to be continued interest and growth in this area just i mean if, if, if you look at the sustainability and the technology and the applicability of all this it's it's certainly there oh yeah um, bamboo is a billion dollar a year thing and we get 10 times as many inquiries or yeah. did before covid than we yeah. did with bamboo so yeah that it's, gives it just you an seems, indication yeah. of where it's going. Prime to do well. Gregor, if people want to find out more about you, about Hempwood, about the other products in your background, what's the best way to get that information? You don't got to figure out more about me. I'm just a normal guy. Um, <laughs> if you want to look at Hempwood, you can go to hempwood.com. We bought that. Actually, there was like a, a three-year standoff with a uh, Cayman Islands website domain registry company that was trying to charge six figures for us to buy that thing. Oh, that's so but funny. we ended up they came back to me on the anniversary date, so they must have programmed it and contacted us back and said, hey, you want to buy it? Finally, we got it for a reasonable price, maybe four years ago. So you can go to hempwood.com. If you're looking to buy something, you can send an email to sales at hempwood.com. And John Cry, who is our tech slash marketing slash sales, the one and only, he, uh, <laughs> he personally replies to all of that. Him and his legion of interns from Murray State University try to get back to you within 24 hours. I mean, you can find the phone numbers and anything else you want to know about it on the website, hempwood.com. Excellent. I'll, uh, I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes here so people can click through and get that. Gregory, thank you so much for taking the time today. Great conversation, fascinating subject. And like I said, I'm, it's fun to kind of talk about some of the industrial applications of cannabis, you know, as beyond just the kind of the, the pharmaceutical side of it. So I really appreciate the time today. Alrighty. Hey, thank you. And let me know where I can send some hempwood stuff to you. I will. I'll send that information and I'll, I'll post some pictures on it on Instagram and some of the accounts. So I appreciate it. Alrighty. Hey, thank you. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.